you'll know if you hit it off with somebody or not. Right. You'll know. Again, we should always be professional to people, but we don't have to work with everybody. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have once again with me Spiros Variotis. You may remember him from episode 18. If you haven't heard it, I highly encourage you to go back and check it out. We dive into what he's doing then. And today we're going to talk about what he's doing now. Spiros is with the unorthodox agent. He's both a real estate broker professional, but also a real estate investor professional. And he blends those two so well, and we're going to talk a lot about it. And today he is fully dressed and ready for Top Gun Maverick style. Welcome back to the show, my friend Spiros. How are you? I am great, Iceman. How are you doing? Man? It's been <laughs> way too long, but you know, I was out there saving the planet through the beauty of the real estate industry over the last few months. So I'm glad to be back here on the ground with you guys and ready to, ready to take it to the next level. I feel so the need awesome. for speed, my brother. So awesome. We were, we, uh, so if you go back to the, for the real estate professionals who are part of the real estate school at 892, there's a lot of great stuff. We actually have a bubble on our community group, uh, specifically with Spiros content on it. It's timeless. It's evergreen. It doesn't matter what market you're in. He believes in the dollar cost average real estate. You're always investing. It doesn't matter what markets are up or down are imbalance to the buyer, imbalance to the seller. It just doesn't matter because real estate is that good. So Spiros, what we're dealing with here is a shifting market, right? A lot of headlines are saying we're crashing. A lot of people are holding strong that, you know, the real estate fundamentals are there. One way or another, it's, it's changing, it's complex, it's shifting. Is that the best time to be working with real estate investors? Uh, it's always the best time to work with real estate investors. I think I've, I've made that clear in some of my other classes I've had the pleasure of teaching with you guys. But I mean, for those of you that don't know me, not only am I, have I been a real estate investor since 1997, I've been a real estate broker since 1996. So for over a quarter century, I've, I've kind of learned how to meld the two. You know, I didn't invert it, no inversion. Okay, nothing like that. But we, we just kind of melded the two. And, you know, you... I used to battle it when I was younger. Uh, do I want to work with real estate investors? They're out of their minds. Nobody's ever going to take those offers until the last crash hit, which was now what, 10, 12 years, 12, 13 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I realized, Oh crap. Okay. Cause I'm sure we're on a PG rated podcast right now. Um, I got no buyers. I got no buyers. I got, everybody wants to sell their house right now who's going through foreclosure. I got people I know that are going through foreclosure, going through divorce, going through the worst possible things any of my clients or friends or family could ever be going through. And I don't have anybody that wants to buy their house and help them with their situation. And I, myself, Kimberly and I, my wife and I, we were in a situation as an investor where we didn't want to buy anything either because all the stuff that we had bought was crashing around us as well. So what happened? Well, I swallowed the pride pill. That's the first thing we all needed to do. And I said, you know, and listen, I'm a dad. If you guys don't know that, dad of five, so I'm good with, I'm all about the dad jokes, which rhymes with bad jokes. 
Okay, so I had set up, I'm going to become a maverick. That's what I'm going to become. I'm going to become a maverick in the real estate industry because I realized if I could learn what investors were looking for in my market, that I could go as a realtor, find them those properties, and I would have a consistent stream of buyers, no matter what the economy is. And truth be told, folks, if we look back at the last 10 or 12 years, whether you're an investor or whether you're an agent, the industry that has driven our economy from day one, and it usually is always this, has been the real estate industry. When there's no employment, they're the ones that are hiring contractors who are making money and going ahead and putting it back out into the restaurants and into the grocery stores and buying new cars and all that other stuff. Okay, it's what stimulates the economy. So I just kind of realized that as, as really as a measure of uh, what's the desperation, I guess that's really it. And so should you be working with investors? Absolutely. You should always be working with investors for many different reasons. Now we are coming out of, and you know, whatever, are things slowing down? Absolutely. Are they crashing? In my opinion, no. Okay, not in the markets that we're in. And I don't think here in Massachusetts, especially Eastern Massachusetts, I don't necessarily think that's good. It's not gonna be a crash. Okay, because there's still people that want to live here. We have a general, we have a great supply of, uh, of new, you know, we got all the colleges and all the students that come here and they want to stay here and all that good stuff. We've got that beautiful, um, consistent source of, of new, uh, I don't want to use the term blood, but new, new people coming in consistently every, every one to two years. So that's good. Uh, but is it going to balance out? Yeah. And so we're just going back to a traditional market, but there's still going to be investors. Now, here's something I, I don't know if you've known this. Um, but again, you know, whether you're reading Inman News, which I encourage all of you guys to be doing if you're anywhere in the real estate sector, it doesn't, you don't have to be a real estate agent to get value from Inman News, okay? Um, but what we're seeing now is that home construction, new home construction is going to come to a halt in a lot of markets. Why? Because there's more inventory coming in. So home builders are getting a little concerned. Now they were doing fine the last couple of years because even with supply chain issues and prices and, and supply costs going up and labor costs going up because they were able to raise their prices exponentially to cover that. Well, we're going to still see those a return to the normal market. So that means that inventory is there. The junk that was selling at, at or above list price is not going to have to be sold to the traditional buyer anymore. They're not going to have to sacrifice what they truly want to get into a home. For me personally, I'm in a real estate, uh, I'm in a mastermind with real estate brokers. Uh, it's a, you know, I'm not, again, not saying this, I'm just saying this for my credibility. It, it's a million dollar, million dollar uh, mastermind. So, I mean, all of us in there are producing millions of dollars, are selling millions of dollars a year in real estate. And what we've seen, and there a bunch of them are in San Diego. I've got some friends down here in South Florida, all over the country is where this mastermind is taking place. What we've seen is that what the listing price used to be in the prior market, prior to May, was it May 4th or 5th that the Fed raised the interest rates and literally that's when everything stopped. What we've seen is that the listing price in the old market was the starting price, right? Like, oh, it's on the market. If you want it, the price starts at 305 or 325 or 450 or whatever the, whatever the listing price is. And then we're going to get multiple offers and we're going to settle on the highest and best. Well, what we're now starting to see as we balance out is that the listing price is the listing price. It's what they're hoping to get, not what they're expecting to get. And so there's gonna be some room for negotiation there. Here in Central Florida, where I am right now, we'll be, up, we'll be back out in the Cape in about, about probably uh, right around July 1st, July 2nd. Um, as I mentioned, our son's going through a little league 
all-star tournament. So depending on how he plays out, is when we'll be out there. But uh, you know, Massachusetts is going to experience the same stuff. So what we've had is we're seeing price reductions. So in my view, what's happened over the last really only four weeks is there was a ton of stuff under contract prior to May 4th, May 5th. So those were all locked in at the old interest rates. And that stuff is now closing out. Okay, Mark's probably going to, Mark can probably attest to this, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the promissory notes that you're going to start seeing, or you have maybe seen over the last week or two, are probably a half to a point higher than they were maybe a couple of weeks ago, because yeah. that inventories started to flush out. So that was the old market. The new market now is properties went under contract, and their interest rate originally was supposed to be 4.25, and now it's 5.25. They didn't qualify the loan back on the market. Right. or the property was listed on the market, hasn't gone under contract, price reduction. So in those two cases, those two pieces of inventory have been sitting on the market when maybe in the past they weren't. The third variable is there's new inventory coming into the market. So in addition to the falling out of contract or staying on the market too long because they were over aggressive pricing, there's now a third realm of the new inventory that said, yeah, let's put it out Memorial Day weekend because that school's done or school's almost done and we don't have to deal with all that stuff. And well, those people that waited that long are coming in this market. So now what inventory was one to one say is now three to one, like a buyer had to jump on something. Then they have some opportunities and they have opportunities to negotiate. That being said, they don't have to buy. I, 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 this is the term I use and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but they don't have to buy the garbage that was out there. They don't have to buy buy the house that they need to move into and it's really not what they thought they were going to get for $550,000 but they don't want to miss out on this thing and so they'll go ahead and put another $50,000 into it over the next year or two years to make it the home that they want or they're settling for the smaller kitchen or they're settling for less bedrooms or they're not quite in the school district or not as close to work as they wanted to be okay well they had to buy that garbage now those people are kind of going to be those buyers those retail buyers are going to be taken out of that market because they have enough inventory to meet their needs. And if they want to, they can be patient and wait a week or two. And there's probably going to be another half dozen to a dozen new houses that come out every single week that might fit their criteria. What does that mean? It's an opportunity for investors to step in and solve the challenges, not only as us as real estate agents, as real estate investors, but the challenges that our sellers are going to be facing. Because I think if we look at any type of metric out there, you know, I just taught a class last night. Uh, I teach a class on passive income. It's one of, it's one of our, it's one of our revenue streams. And, and one thing I'm very, very, you know, excited about buying rentals and having that long-term passive wealth as well as appreciation. But if you're looking at the metrics of this country, well, we had less GDP last quarter and we're all expecting it to be less GDP this quarter. So if we have two consecutive quarters of GDP going down, we won't know this till July. We are in a we are in a recession. Just technically, all the technical charts speaking, okay, doesn't mean the consumer confidence isn't still strong. It's not as high as it was, obviously, because the people that were reaching for their homes because interest rates were three percent and four percent, and they were collecting six hundred dollars a week on their unemployment benefits that they normally wouldn't be getting, and they've deferred all of their um, and they were doing some forbearance agreements with their mortgage company, so not paying their mortgage. And, you know, and, and, and those bills are coming due. And so if we have a good pool of investors ready to help us, we're doing what we're supposed to do, which I think all of you that have, have worked with me before and listened to me before, no, our job as a real estate 
broker, as a real estate agent, is to serve the communities that we work in. So Let's if talk. there's a seller facing, go ahead. Before we get into the investors, which I really want to get into, but you're triggering all sorts of uh, thoughts about, you know, the market that we're, we're simply turning the page on and talking to that person who bought the junk, they got into the feeding frenzy. They went into that bid uh, market, right? That it's not your listing price. This is the starting opening bid price. And then it became, becomes an auction. I'll waive this. I'll waive that. I'll get in. I got it. Wow. Awesome. Wait a second. What are they saying about the market crashing? You know, with those folks with the 3%, 3.5%, can we, can we reassure them that, you know, real estate is strong. Do not panic. You may, you may experience what would be deemed a correction, but you have great debt, hold on and, 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 you know, dollar cost average, if you really want to, um, you know, maximize what's going on. Yeah. I mean, a thousand percent, brother. So it's like, if you're in a three or four, even, you know, 5% mortgage, you, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. And again, if you bought the property to live in it, you're going to be fine as well. Real estate is, again, it's not, in my opinion, going to crash. And the reason why is that there is just such, I mean, it, truthfully, it's going to depend on where you live, right? I mean, if, if, if you're living in the, the Midwest and we're counting on the pipeline, the Keystone pipeline to be, to be working, then, well, you know that the jobs are gone from there and you know that people are moving out of that area. So that might be an area where you're going to see some sort of a dip. But if you're in strong you know, economic markets, and what I mean by strong economic markets, I mean, what is the industries that are around there? I mean, Massachusetts is technology and education, right? And defense. Those industries aren't going away. And we have, you know, we obviously, and we have medical, medical too. That's not going away either. So while we might see a little bit of a slowdown in the Northeast, it's not crashing. So slowdown means we're not going to be making 10% or 15% or 20% appreciation year over year, which folks is just really, it's great if you got it, but it's, I mean, historically speaking, you should be able to count on maybe three to 4% a year, um, year to year. And I, you're still going to see that. You're still going to see that if you have a good product, it's like anything, if you have a good product, there's still going to be demand for it. So now we're talking about, okay, now we enter healthy market, the market we want more yes. of a balance between supply and demand so that there's nobody who's getting the competitive advantage over the other. We have health, we have equity, we have the ability, Absolutely. affordability and um, balance of power, if you will, right? That I think the sellers had so much power that they became intoxicated by it over the last 18 months to two years. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, listen, we're both rooting for the, well, I think we're both rooting for the Celtics in the, in the championship, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, right? So, you know, game one, they let both teams play. They didn't give favoritism to one side or the other. This is my opinion. Yeah. And it was a great game. Celtics looked like they were down, but wait a second. They still, they were still calling it the same way. They were able to come back, dominate the fourth quarter and win the game. Game two, I think most of us what in New England can agree. And I think most people across the country that the officiating was a little suspect, you know, green should have got. So what I'm saying is that the balance in that game was heavily favored to the Warriors, which is what the market has been over the last couple of years, heavily favored to the sellers. Who wants to watch a game where one team's getting the, their butts kicked or one or one side and buying and selling is getting who wants to buy a house feeling like they got beat up? Like there's no beauty in that. There's no, 
there's no there's there's no um, but comfort in that in a sense not only comfortably personally but economically there's no comfort in that because truth be told the truth of history if we look in the past is that the market never continues to go straight up never does right it always has some sort of correction it doesn't mean it always crashes it just means it's got to come back to that mean and so it you're right these sellers truthfully got greedy and it's insane we've had you know we go on listing appointments and we talk to sellers and this is the education that we're giving them that i'm sharing with you that, that you know they're upset because they don't have multiple offers in the first 48 hours and it's like that's never been a healthy market right and now they're saying well oh you're saying i'm gonna have to wait probably maybe two two weeks to a month to get this house under contract because days on market are 27 days and i'm like folks do you even understand that that's still in the balance of history, that's still an insane seller's market, by the way. Right. Right. It's still, it's still tilted toward the sellers, but it's giving the buyers a little bit more leverage. And so absolutely, this is we're coming back to a healthy market, a traditional market, but people have been so blind to it for so long that they forgot what it looked like. Mm. I mean, we all want to go in and, and negotiate or feel like we got something of value, even if we pay full price or a little bit over it. Not well, yeah, I'll, I'll fix the roof after I move in there. And yeah, I'm not worried about the water in the basement. And yeah, my dad can help me with that on the back porch that's, that needs work. Like, but I'm paying $650,000 for this house. You know, so you're absolutely right. We're coming back to a healthy relationship. Okay, so now let's focus on the real estate investors and where those opportunities lie. So you, you made reference to the crash. Oh, wait, this is where you saw that you could help uh, bring real estate investors and real estate professionals all together under the same umbrella, get them working together cohesively, successfully, and effectively. Here, the market is very different though, right? There, there was a glutton of supply. Here, there's still a limited supply. Where are the opportunities? Okay, well, the first opportunity is still an opportunity. And this is what I've been sharing the last few years is that you want to have a network of investors, good investors, all right, that are bringing product to the market. Now, if you can find them deals, that's great. But the market we were coming out of was that there was little to no inventory, and the inventory that was there was not quite everything that people had expected. So if you have a good nest egg of investors that are buying things and bringing them back to the market, any smart investor like myself and Kimberly and I have done fix and flips and rehabs, we've done all that stuff. Before I listen on the MLS, I'm going to call maybe agents that I've worked with in the past and say, hey, listen, I know the market's crazy. Do you have a buyer that might be interested in our house in Washington Park or our house in Falmouth or something like that? Because we know how tight inventory is. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I've got a couple of buyers who would like to see that. So, OK, it'll be ready in two weeks. Um, if you want to stop by so you can see it, you can get an idea and a vision for that. And you can start bringing that out. Well, that's going to save me a little bit of money because I'm only paying half a side of a commission. I'll pay the buyer's commission. I don't have to listen on the MLS. But that's also giving the agent a competitive advantage in the marketplace because, folks, for two years, actually for more than that, honestly, for the last seven years, we've been on a bull run in the real estate market. For the last seven years, uh, buyers and sellers look at us as just order takers that we're really not bringing any value. We're just getting them into the house uh, or we're just putting a sign out in the front, throwing it in the MLS. What we get to do now in this market is show them our value, show them what we can do. Hey, listen, I work with a list. 
you know, I work with 15 of the top real estate investors in this market. So whenever they have new inventory coming out, they'll actually call us and invite us open before they even put it on the MLS. Listen, I have a, I have a, I have a, a consistent marketing campaign out to for sale by owners, you know, looking to see if they either want to list the property or if I can go ahead and bring them a buyer. So I'm not just working what's on the MLS. I'm not just going to, I'm going to get you the stuff that's on the MLS, but I'm also out there scraping. I'm thinking like an investor and I'm going direct to market to try and find you inventory that you can buy or that I can help you sell. And so that's how investors think. And that's where the shift has happened since the last crash. Investors have become able to outthink realtors because the truth is most realtors have gotten lazy. Because it's just, oh, great, I want that listing. What do I need to do? Oh, just cut my commission because I know I'm going to get six offers on it. Great, here we go. Let me go put that in the MLS. Let me go put a sign out there. I'm going to do an open house so I can get some buyers through. Maybe I'll get a buyer that buys it, but maybe I'll get five other buyers that want to buy other inventory. Ooh, this is so easy. Well, that's really not what real estate's about. You have to have that balance there. So you have to learn how to think like an investor, which is how can I target specific markets, specific distressed markets is what investors are looking for in my area. And we talked about, you know, I've done classes on this over the last couple of years. I know people are like, what? You're going to talk about short sales? Well, folks, if you look around now, you can see that disposable income is coming down. Interest rates are going up. Interest rates aren't just going up on 30-year fixed mortgages. They're going up on car loans. They're going up on credit cards and all going up on personal debt. So we're going to start seeing that appreciate or that depreciation in value we might start seeing short sale opportunities. We might start seeing a little bit of an uptick in foreclosures. And then we're just going to have those people that aren't quite there yet, but they're freaking out because like Mark said, maybe they got in a little over their head. They were buying for appreciation, not buying on value, not there to live there and, and ride the wave out like any good investor understands to do. Okay. Um, and that those are the people that we as agents need to go ahead and help because I'm telling you, the investor marketplace is already doing that way better than most real estate agents are. They're the ones that are buying it for sale by or attacking for sale by owners. Okay. When I say attacking, I mean in a good way, they're calling them, seeing how they can help them. What can I do? What are you looking to do? If I could do this, if I can close here, if I could buy this, blah, 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 blah. Then they're going after the foreclosure list and the short sale list and the divorce list and the bankruptcy list, the high equity, list, all these different things that we can target as an agent to again, help our community. High equity list is about is what you were about to say. Why would that be a target? Well, I mean, again, you're thinking most people with high equity, they've been in their house. If they have high equity, they've been in their house probably at least 20 years, maybe even 30 years, or maybe even longer than that. So they might be looking to cash out. They might be at the 65, 70-year-old range. They're empty nesters. Um, their kids are off to college, have started their own lives. And they're like, you know what, is the market going to depreciate substantially where I might lose money? Maybe now's the time for me to sell because we've always wanted to buy the condo in West Palm Beach in Florida. And then I'm also going to have an extra $300,000 left over in my pocket to do whatever it is that we want to do. Because now might be the shift like you've been talking about. Again, it's not a crash. If you have a good product and it's priced well, you're going to get offers. We all know that. What the market was before is if you have a product and you have a price on it, you're going to get offers. There's a difference there now. Oh, yeah. So high equity, they're not, there's, there's money there. They're not trying to squeeze every single dollar out of that. And I'll share a personal story right now real quick. Kim and I are buying a house here in just north of Orlando in Ocoee. 
and it's actually a for sale by owner. And he has a lot of equity in there. And we're doing something creative where we're going to put down less of a down payment. We're still going to have our 20% equity so we can get a conventional loan. But he's actually going to loan us half of that money because he'd rather get monthly payments coming back to him than take his money and stick it in a bank account and earn 1%. We're going to pay him 5% on and, that money. And get whacked with capital gains on that initial... Uh... All, well, it's his, per, it's his primary residence, so he won't get whacked. Oh, okay. I don't think he's above $500,000 capital gains on it. But it's just a conversation I had. I'm not saying this is going to happen everywhere, but that's how an investor thinks. Because me, truthfully, I'd rather have that money in my bank just as a safety net if I can invest it or if I can finance it at 5%. To me, that's a good trade-off. Why? Because I can invest that probably for higher than a 5% rate of return. Okay, So I'm just telling you that 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 equity gives that seller – some ability. And by the way, he's not, you know, he's selling it directly to us. So he's taking off his commissions, right? So he's got some flexibility in there. He's like, I don't need to bleed every dollar out of this transaction. You guys are nice. He's taking us out on his boat. Like he's a good guy. And he wants to help us get into that house, which to be honest with you, we probably could not have done a month and a half ago because of the market. Right. right. And now people are starting to think, are we going to miss this market? We need to hurry up and get our property on the market, which will then create more inventory, which will continue to freak people out that there's more of a crash versus a correct to healthy. And again, I, I hear what you're saying, but if it's the right house that's priced correctly, then there shouldn't be any problem. Okay. So I, I, more inventory can come into the market as long as it's priced proportionately, right? So again, they're not trying, they're not trying to get the highest price on the block. They're actually trying to get what the value of their property is realistically and what it's going to appraise that. So that's the other thing. Okay. And this is where, you know, short term, we're not going to see this because people should be able to maneuver this. But if this goes on for the next, just say 12 or 18 months from now, we're still having this conversation. Maybe interest rates are at seven and a half or eight percent. I don't think that's going to be what's going to happen. I think the I think they might have a couple of rate hikes more this year, but I think that's going to take care of the situation. But my point is, is that what happened is that a lot of these loans that people got on these properties that they outbid other people for, well, they didn't appraise Mark, right? A lot of them didn't appraise. So what happened was, is these buyers had to come in with extra money. Right. So the bank's not in a tough position. The buyer is in a tough position. And that's where a lot of potential short sale inventory is going to come from. It's not because it already didn't appraise. They already paid more for it than when they bought it. And so they've got their own capital in there. And so now they're trying to figure out, oh, man, I'm going to lose $25,000 on this because I overbid it by $25,000. So again, that was the old market. And those are the people that might be hurt in the future. But in this market, it's, I'm going to pay what it, what it's, what it, what it's worth. That's really what, what's going to happen. Right. Right. So those people that got into the big bidding frenzy and auctionitis and paid more than they may actually sit back and say, we've got an issue here, Houston. Um, what about, let's talk about forbearance a little bit. Are you seeing any uh, people that had an extended forbearance that are uh, experiencing some pain that may have uh, real estate professionals? Yeah, personally, no. Personally, no. I have We haven't dealt with that yet. Um, and I think because, again, I think it's still a little too close. 
uh, to where it was. So here's the thing with the forbearance. It started in around April of 2020 is when they started requiring the banks to do that if people asked for it. But not everybody asked for it. A lot of people are like, ah, this is only going to be for a couple of months. I, I've, got, I've got three months of reserves, six months of reserves, whatever that is. So some people might have delayed that, but I'm going to tell you, uh, you probably see this. If you log in to pay your mortgage statement online, it still has there. If you're struggling with COVID, click this button and we can work out something with you. So the program's still there, meaning that even if somebody came into the program five months ago or eight months ago, they're probably still on that forbearance program. And again, I think the banks are going to try to do everything they can to help them resolve the situation. I don't think the banks are going to have the 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 banks have the, not foresight, they have the looking back at what happened back in 2008 to 2010. See, now if they had done this better in 2007 and 2008, they didn't think the crash like that was coming, right? If they had been more lenient, they're like, all right, we'll give you a little bit of a forbearance or a lower interest rate, or we'll, we'll stretch your principal over a 40-year note instead of a 20-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage. That would have probably stalled or even eliminated a lot of that recession that we went through. Yeah. So again, I, that's why I don't think we're going to dive into a big, deep recession because we have the lessons from the past. And I think moving forward, they're going to do that a little bit better. Now, truth be told, that doesn't mean that people aren't still going to be able to pay their mortgage and there aren't going to be foreclosures or they're going to come out of the forbearance agreement and they're not going to be able to make it up because each bank, each lender, each investor of that note is different. And that's another thing, again, that's in the real estate industry, if you, you should understand how that works, that just because your mortgage is with Chase or you pay Chase your mortgage payment doesn't mean that Chase is the owner of that note. And so whatever negotiations have to go on is between the investor, who might be Chase, or it could be John Smith IRA at the back end of it. And John Smith IRA be like, no, dude, I want my money and I'm not going to do that. So that's something that we need to be aware of um, as we come into this market as well. So we've started to talk about it and blended because, you know, your background is both real estate investor, real estate broker, real estate broker instructor. So a lot of what you talk about so fluidly blends, but let's talk specifically about the real estate professional being the real estate agent, realtor, real estate broker, thinking like a real estate investor. We need supply. We have buyers some supplies coming on, but it's trickling on. How do we think like a real estate investor to convert somebody that a real estate investor might be um, apt to purchase, but convert that to a listing? Like how do we how do we approach that person who may need to unload this property? Okay, uh, so you're talking about how how can I as a, as a real estate agent have a conversation with a seller? so that we can make our property attractive to potential real estate investors. Is that the question you're asking? To potential buyers, to any buyer across the board. Any so buyer. so, so think, thinking like a real estate investor, you know, I know you talk about distressed markets. I think you're talking about distressed assets, right? So you drive by one, two, three Main Street and you look and you say, wow, there's something unique about that house. It's run down, broken windows, long grass. I want to approach that person and help them, right? That's the mindset of the real estate investor. How do we translate that mindset to the real estate agent to say, I'm going to pull up in that driveway, I'm going to knock on the door, and I'm going to do what? Okay, great. So first thing you have to understand is that investors 
look at a house two ways, not one way. So just like in life, we all get kind of captivated by the exterior of people. But then when we spend a little bit more time with them, we kind of learn what's on the inside. So what I'm saying is that real estate investors don't just look at the outside of a house being like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a dilapidated house, blue tarp on the roof, long grass. That's one of the things that we look at. But the second thing we look at, it might look good on the outside. What's going on on the inside? So there's physical distress, which is what Mark was talking about. The other thing we're looking at is financial distress. So as an investor, we're looking for people who are going through bankruptcy, who are going through divorce, who are going through uh, potential pre-foreclosure, who might be in a short sale situation. And that is not going to be seen by the exterior world. So that's where I think the chasm is, the chasm or chasm. I'm always confused. I know it's a CH, but that's where the void is. How about void? We use that one, right? It's easier to spell. The void between real estate investor and real estate agent is that real estate investors are actually tackling the emotional problem of the house. Most real estate agents are trying to tackle the financial problem of the house. What does that mean? Oh, your house is ugly. We can sell it for a quick dollar. We can get you cash money out. Okay. Hey, some sellers, that's what they're looking for. But other sellers are thinking, you know what? I don't want anybody to know that we have to sell this house because we're going through a divorce because of what happened during COVID because I lost my job. And there's a lot of people out there that don't want anybody to know what they're selling their house. Or if they do, how are we going to discreetly handle this transaction so that everybody in my family isn't asking me, why in the world are you guys selling your house? What we'd rather happen is we sell the house and then we move out and then we tell everybody, yeah, we decided to sell that house and here's why. And I'm not, you can't think rationally as a professional agent in, in these situations. And I'm not saying it as a condemnation because this is where I struggle because we're supposed to be the financial, economic, we're that guru, we're the go-to person. We're supposed to help them through this, this, you know, this asset. We talk, it's the most important purchase of your life. It's the biggest thing you're ever going to buy. But we always look at it from a financial standpoint. And so investors are targeting them, myself included, from an emotional standpoint. If I have the list of divorce, the mailing and the contacts that we're going to use are not going to sit there and say, hey, we know we're going through a divorce, but it's going to say, hey, listen, you know, has, has anything changed in your life over the last six months? Has COVID impacted your family life or, or anything financially? Listen, we're a local investor and we're looking to buy more inventory in your market. My wife and I, you'll deal directly with us. Okay, we're a family of seven. And we've helped people like you over the last 20 something years in this community. Listen, for a free, private, no cost consultation, you can give us a phone call, you can set it up on Calendly, whatever it is, you give them a bunch of options. And that's how we get people in there. We're connecting with them over here, not up here. And that's where I said, I think investors, good investors, again, there's, there's scumbags in every single marketplace, folks. Okay, we know that we've all dealt with bad realtors, unethical realtors, just like that in the in, in investor marketplace. And so when we come in with that freshness, with that compassion, with that empathetic heart, that we're not about the transaction, we're about you and the relationship, we set ourselves apart from everybody else. Now for us as an investor, I get a double, I get a double bonus. Why? Because if they decide maybe they don't want to sell it at a price that works for me or Kimberly and I, like we're not really going to make enough profit, that's fine. You think it's worth this? And to be honest, you might be able to get this in the market. Let me connect you with some of the agents that we work with in this market 
that can help you get that price. So yeah, I'm licensed, but I don't want to do listings. I'd rather refer it out and get 25% referral fee and give an agent that specializes in Washington Park, you know, million dollar plus houses, let them use their marketing systems and techniques to go ahead and get that. So for me, I've got a couple of different exit strategies to profit from it. As an agent, you know, we really only have one exit strategy because we have to get the commission in order to profit from it. But if we go in there not looking at the commission we're going to get, looking at how we can serve these people, even if we have to serve them for three weeks or six weeks without them listing the property with us, it's going to bring us up to that level of trust and rapport. And it makes it more likely for them to listen to us, honor our opinions, list at a price that we think really is fair in this marketplace and help them get onto the next stage of their lives. Because the truth be told in every single situation, whether it's listed by a real estate agent, bought by a real estate with a real estate agent or done off market with an investor, that property only has one purpose. It's to take the owner out of that asset and move them onto the next stage of their lives. And it's to take the buyer into that asset and move them onto the next stage of their lives. It's up to us as realtors, and this is what investors think like, our first conversation is, why are you doing this? What are you trying to get out of here? And then once we find out what their motivation is, collectively, we're all trying to get rid of that asset in a way that allows them to move on to that next stage of their thing. And you know what? It might be. I mean, the seller might be, I want top dollar for it. Perfect. What are you going to do if we sell it for top dollar? Where are you going? Are you staying in this market? You know, all that stuff. So I think that's where investors have really, at least the investors I've worked with and trained have really set themselves apart from the traditional real estate investor because the traditional real estate investor is soliciting. We want you to sell with us. We want you to list your property. And in that, a lot of people, that's going to cost me 5%, 6%. Whereas an investor's coming and say, hey, listen, we want to buy your property. We want to put money into your pocket, right? That's what we're trying to do. Will that help you? What's your situation? How can we help you? So that's kind of how I look at it both ways. So I love the, the concept of asking questions, right? But as you mentioned, there's two phases. You drive by and you have an obvious distressed property that will ring the bell that says, okay, I got to go to my computer and figure this out. Or you have access to, to lists of targeted specific disciplines of where you as a real estate investor like to focus, like to help. Where would someone begin that process if they wanted to dig a little bit deeper? As a real estate agent? Or investor, because it's kind of the same, the same starting. Yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's two big ones out there. And one of them is the driving force behind most of our MLSs, and that's CoreLogic. Okay, so if you go to CoreLogic.com, you can find lists and you can find this data. It's all mostly public records information, you know, divorce filings, bankruptcy, foreclosure. Those are all unemployment. Okay. I mean, these are all uh, evictions. That's another one. Okay. So that's another target that a lot of people don't even think about. You know, again, I talk about passive income. I've been teaching a passive income class. I'm like, it's, it's, it's easy to find landlords that are struggling right now. And they're like, oh, yeah. why? Why, why would they want to sell their house? Because they're in the middle of an eviction. And folks, I'm going to tell you, if they're evicting somebody in Boston, the rules and the time frame are a lot different than they're evicting something here in, in Central Florida. Okay, the landlord's going to get their property back a lot faster here in Central Florida because of the landlord laws that are on the books for them versus maybe in a major metropolitan city like Boston. They might be sitting on that property while they're going through the eviction pain points. Core logic. The other one I've, I've used is Adam Data, A T T O M Data.com. 
And folks, you can buy these lists online and maybe it costs you two cents a lead or 20 cents a lead. So for 20 bucks, you can get a list of 100 divorced couples or divorced families in the area that you farm or that you, that you work with. Um, foreclosure list, most of that is just public records. If you know where to find it, uh, you, can, you can get that. I mean, in Colorado, I'm licensed in Colorado and Massachusetts. We do most of our buying in Colorado and we're moving here to Florida. So we can get that list off of the, our title companies actually give us that list. Um, so, cause that's the re relationship that we have with them. I don't know what Mark and, or the title companies can do, but you can find it on Norfolk County, you know, Suffolk County, they should have the list of, pre of the foreclosure filings. So you just have to do a little bit of a grind and it doesn't have to be overly burdensome. Okay, you send, up 20, send out 25 handwritten letters a week or have somebody on your team 20, handwrite 25 letters. People are going to open those. Okay, don't look like everybody else when you're doing your marketing. Look different. Like every one of us is going to open a hand-addressed letter. Like, who is this from? You open it up and says, hey, listen, you know, my name's Spiros. My wife and I are buyers in this market. We know some families are struggling here with the way that the economy is going and prices and inflation. We just want to know we're here for if you have any challenges making your mortgage payments or if you have any challenges or any questions about what the industry is going to do. And then I'll list my my knowledge and my expertise and all that other stuff. So I give myself some credibility. So they're like, well, you know, we kind of are wondering what's going on. They'll get a call with, get on a call with us or somebody on our team and ask us those questions. So let's talk about how the real estate professional and the real estate investor really kind of need each other and really should not be avoiding one another. Because in our world, we see them avoiding one another as though they believe they're competitors. How do we, how do we demystify, debunk, if you will? Yeah, uh, great question. And it's uh, so, again, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of our, of our, of our podcast today, uh, you know, when I started out in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, I was investing, I was buying property, but I also felt like I was competing with other realtors. And when that when the really the shift happened in 08 to, to, to 2010, uh, I realized that I don't want to look at anybody in my market that's in real estate as competition. What I want to look, look at them as a compliment. I want to be a compliment to their business. And I know in some way, some way, some way, shape or form in the future, they're going to compliment my business. So I just gave you that example about how I can, you know, double dip a lead. So if we get a lead into our investing company, if that lead doesn't work out for us as an investor, I can flip that lead into a referral to a real estate agent. Well, folks, I'm not the only investor that thinks that way, okay? If you have a good pool, if you have a good rapport with a bunch of good investors, they're gonna look at you as an asset because for them, it solves a problem for the seller even though it may not solve a problem for them. What does that mean? It means they're trying to help the seller. So if the seller wants more money than makes profit for them as a fix and flip, well, most investors who look at competition as realtors or don't have a good relationship with realtors, well, like, well, you know, whatever. They don't want my price to heck with them. Okay. Whereas the savvy investor like myself is like, you know what? I understand. I respect you. And you probably... You know, you might be able to get close to that number if you put it out to the general marketplace. You know, is that something you might consider doing? And if they say, well, yeah, I mean, well, here, listen, here's two agents that we work with, masters in this marketplace, masters in this neighborhood. And why don't you have conversations with each one of them and see what 
what they can bring to the table for you. I've worked with them. I've bought houses from them. I've helped, they've helped sell some of our houses. And again, if you like them, great. If not, let me know. And maybe we can hook you up with some other people. So I'm always, like I said earlier, I'm always concerned about the relationship. I'm not concerned about making money. All right. Because I know if I continue to nurture relationships, I'm eventually over time going to going to reap rewards from that. And so that's how I look at it. So as an as a as an agent, if you can have the mind shift as well, you're going to do the mirror of that. So you're going in to find a help a seller that's maybe going through a divorce and they don't want people coming through here. Uh, folks, I mean, this is crazy. I don't know. You know, we've all got crazy stories in real estate, especially if you've been doing it for a quarter century. I mean, I've, I've talked to couples going through a divorce who haven't told their kids yet that they're going through a divorce and they're thinking about selling their house. And they don't want that sign out there. They don't want people coming through the house. They're just not ready. That they're, and I get it. It's an emotional thing, obviously, right? They're not, I don't agree. Maybe they should have told them, but, but they're figuring it out on their own. So how do I help them do what they need to do, which is sell the house? So as an agent, I can say, you know what? Well, there's a couple of ways we can do it. Obviously, you're going to get the greatest exposure if I put it in the MLS. But I also have a strong list of buyers, both retail buyers and investor buyers. And if it would be okay with you, you know, maybe you guys could take the kids away for the weekend or for a couple of days, and I can run those buyers through this weekend, and I can let you know if any of them are interested, and we can see what we can do from there. And then if, if nobody's interested, then we can have the conversation next week about our next steps. Would that be something that might help you? And so there I am. Again, I'm not thinking about my own commission. I'm honoring the relationship. And there's an opportunity for me now, especially in the last couple of years. I mean, you think if I text a buyer, if I text an investor and I'm like, dude, I've got an off-market listing and it needs to close quick. I mean, how many people am I going to get down through that property? Well, let's, okay. let's, talk, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So, you know, I love the approach and the, the humanity behind it. And, and if you're referring it to, a referral partner of yours and it seems too overwhelming and you know they have to be public or they have to do too much work to the property to get on the market they're still thinking about you anyhow so you're still around and I and I, and I love that that you didn't you don't burn that bridge as a real estate investor but for the real estate agent professional um, realtor who's listening and and says this all sounds great Spiros but how do I meet these real estate investors they seem to be kind of working in the dark of night in the shadows and making things happen mysteriously how do i find them uh, that's probably the easiest question to answer uh in our in our days of technology and now that you know i, I believe we're we're not you know COVID is going to be with us moving forward forever but you know people are meeting in person again if you just go to two websites meetup.com, which sounds like a dating site, but it's not, and you type in real estate, it will pull up dozens and it knows where you are based on your IP address. So if you're in Danvers and you're pulling it up, it's going to pull everything up there on the North Shore and probably Boston. Okay. Uh, if not, you can just type real estate Danvers. You can type real estate investors Danvers. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to promise you, you're going to find dozens of real estate investor associations. They're called REAs, R-E-I-A's real estate investor networking groups that you can go down to and start networking with. And then the other one, Facebook. 
So Facebook is starting to, well, not starting, over the last few years, they've been building out their groups, right? So they want, instead of us going to Meetup, they want everybody going to Facebook groups so they can continue to track what we're doing and sell us stuff. And so you can go to Facebook groups and type in real estate or real estate investors. Okay, that's the, those are the two easiest ways for you to get out in public and start networking with them. And the easiest thing to do, any conversation I come to, the first thing I always ask is, how can I help your business grow? That's what you need to do. So they might tell you, I need to get, how fast can you get me comps if I find a for sale by owner or if I have a hot lead? Okay, can you get me comps? Can you, do you have a good investor-friendly title company that understands how to work with investors and the mindset that we have when we're going to a closing table? Or if we're, buy, if we're gonna flip it, we're gonna buy it and we're gonna to need to get that title policy again in six months, we put it back on the market, you know, how is that gonna work with all of that? Okay, so this is the value that we're bringing to that relationship. Okay, so that's the, those are the two ones to find groups, to find individuals, gold is in LinkedIn. If you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn and connect with Mark, connect with me. What that does is it opens you up to all of our networks. And so when you go to LinkedIn and you type in real estate investor, anybody in that marketplace that you're connected with through LinkedIn, through those three degrees of LinkedIn, and they have that on their profile, is going to pop up. And then they eat. I love LinkedIn. This is why it's gold is because LinkedIn is not cold calling. It's warm calling. Hey, I saw that you, I saw that, you know, me and Styles were connected with Mark Styles. And I was just on a podcast with him. And I see that you're an investor here in Danvers. And I'd love to go ahead and reach out and see how I can help you grow your business. That's it. Are they going to get back to you? Who knows? But if you do that five or 10 times a day, now, folks, don't do it 50 times a day because LinkedIn's tracks all this stuff. They don't want you to be spamming, but you do it five or 10 times a day. That's anywhere from 25 to 50 new potential contacts coming out that week. And you're going to, you're going to get a handful of people that you want to work with and you screen them. You'll know if you get, you'll know if you hit it off with somebody or not, right. you'll know. Again, we should always be professional to people, but we don't have to work with everybody. Right. Okay. That's the truth of it all. We can always refer it out to somebody else, no matter what's going on in our lives. I love that. Life's too short to work with people that don't fit your mold. Well, I think, yeah, you have to be older to know that, right? Because think of how much time we wasted when we were younger, chasing the dollar, we thought, right? And, and killing ourselves because we took years off of our life. <laughs> so Spiros, unorthodox agent, uh, been following it, watching it. What have you been up to with that? What's the next, what's next on unorthodox agent? Well, as you know, and some of your followers know as well, you guys, you guys pushed me to do something a little over a year ago, uh, where just thinking like nobody else thinks in your marketplace and, you know, the market that we're coming out of, which I know we talked about on a podcast, but how can we be creative? How can we get leads? How can we get deals? How can we help people in our community, whether it's buyers or sellers, get the value that they want either out of the house they're selling or the house that they're trying to buy? And so I came up with the unorthodox agent. It's a kind of a play on my obviously Greek name. Okay, but oh, you're Greek Orthodox and all that stuff. Like I'm not Greek Orthodox, but it's just a play on that. And it's just how to think outside the box, really. How to think like nobody else does. As I say, that is a good thing. Um, and a lot of it is what we've we've talked about before in the past is how to think like a real estate investor in our marketing as a real estate agent. So the challenge is simple. You're going to spend five days with me. It's not going to cost anything. We're going to do it on Facebook. We'll go Facebook Live five days in a row, Monday through Friday. We spend about an hour a day. And by the end of those five days, my goal is to have five new leads in your pipeline, buyers and sellers, 
by the end of that week. And uh, I'm going to share some of the knowledge I have, some of the metrics that I use to see what the market's doing. Everybody's freaking out. Well, as a professional licensed real estate professional in our markets, we're supposed to be the calming voice. So if we don't know what's going on in the market, how are we supposed to calm the people that we deal with? So we'll deal with that starting right out on days one and two. And we'll talk about ways that you can creatively market, follow up, finding the right people, uh, connecting, communicating, negotiating, and ultimately having fun, working with the people that are going to bring joy and life to your heart and learning how to work and or share the people that are going to take that, take that life away from you, how to share that with other people on your team that are probably better suited to do that. So I'm excited to start that coming up in July. Oh, I'm psyched that you're doing that again. So where would people find that and, and be able to access entry into that? Uh, so if you go to unorthodoxagent.com, uh, that should have a link for you guys to register uh, for that. So that'll be live. It'll be a little, you know, it'll be a sales funnel. So it's going to say, hey, what's your e name and email? Pop it in there. It's going to take you uh, into the Facebook to sign into the Facebook group. And then you'll get uh, notifications as to when we're starting. And we'll record everything. So if you have to miss a session, uh, then you can watch it later that day. It'll be live on Facebook Live. But it's going to be a closed group. It was a lot of fun when I did it with the group last year. And I've been wanting to do it. It's just been, it's been a good, crazy year. Uh, 2021 into 2022, which uh, I'm sure I'll share in the future with all you guys. Cool, 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 cool. So we'll have that in the show notes. Unorthodox agent. I highly encourage folks to uh, open up their comfort zone, expand their knowledge and wisdom, and and learn from uh, learn from Maverick here. Let's let's go back. You've done it a couple times. What would somebody say once they completed that five day journey with you? If we were to jump onto the Google machine and enter review for unorthodox Asian and Spiros, it would say what? Um, I've had students tell me that they learned more in one hour with me than they have at weekend seminars taught by quote unquote professionals, uh, that I make it simple, that had I realized it was this easy, I would have been doing it before, but a lot of people, a lot of mindset stuff, we'll talk about mindset as well. Um, that's some of the biggest things like, wow, I understand now how to think like an entrepreneur, how to think like a business and how to go ahead and take control of my time, which is really for all of us, the most precious asset that we all have, because we're sharing that every single moment of every single day. So a lot of great feedback from it. And I just, again, I don't take myself that seriously. I take my responsibility responsibilities as the educator very seriously, but we have a lot of fun and make it very simple, easy to digest pieces uh, for you guys to do on a daily basis and build off of that. I love it. I love it. So part of expanding the comfort zone, right? Learning more, going out and set in, stretching your, your knowledge, stretching your wisdom, stretching your comfort zone, doing different things. One of the things we love, karaoke. I don't think there's a better way to uh, have that five seconds of courage and say, okay, I'm going to do it and simply do it more like karaoke. So Spiros, when we get everybody together, you've been a guest twice on this. A few people have as well, but we're up to the 70 somethings. When we get everybody together, we're going to network and we're going to endorse one another and, and share uh, together. But one of the things we're going to do while we're networking is we're going to sing karaoke. And you're up next on the stage, Spiros. What are you singing? Kenny Loggins for Ooh. Top Gun. Is it Kenny Loggins? I don't Loggins? know if I'm going to go Kenny Loggins or if I'm going to go with the Righteous Brothers. Ooh. Oh, right. Right. You never close your eyes. Anymore. 
Anita more when we when I kiss your lips. So that I don't would know be, the rest of the words. But that would be an amazing, amazing karaoke, especially if you're wearing the outfit. Oh, oh, you, of course. You would bring the karaoke. If, if you're doing karaoke, it's evolved from just singing. It you got to come in costume, man. Right. You got to come in costume, right? It's like ten percent talent, ninety percent stage presence at this point. And then, Crowd and involvement. Basically, that's all. That's all entertainment now, isn't it? Yeah, it it really is. And your uh. And that song that would be that would bring crowd involvement. I I love karaoke. I haven't seen anyone sing that yet. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm putting that on my oh, my pleasure, man. Appreciate all you guys. Most important question of them all. I know we talked about unorthodox agent, but if someone wants to get in touch with you and chat with you and share with you and maybe get coached by you, what's the best way to have them get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, one of the companies we own is is uh, Community Choice, and we also own the investment side of it, Investors National. So. Spiros, S-P-E-R-O-S at investorsnational.com. That's the way to email me or just uh, an Orthodox agent. I mean, then you guys can reach us through there as well. So I'd, I'd love to help as many people as I can. It's a, it's kind of a calling more now after you're in the industry for so long. I know Mark understands that side of it too. It's not about, it's not about making money. It's about really helping people change their lives and impact the communities that we all get to get blessed to work in. I love it. And if you enter Spiros into the Google machine, it will probably pop up too, because I mean, yeah, if you can spell of, my name, right, you probably will connect with me on LinkedIn too. I, I, you know, I've shared that in podcasts before that uh, I would love for you to leverage my network to help you grow your net worth. That's what, that's why it's there. So do cool. that, please. Well, who can I introduce you to in my network? I love that. So we'll put that in the show notes, folks. So if you're listening to this, you know, scroll on down and we'll have the link directly to Spiros's LinkedIn so you can connect with him as well as the unorthodox agent so you can jump in and, uh, and, and participate in that one week challenge, which I've heard great things about. So totally endorse that as well. Spiros, thanks for the time, my friend. I always appreciate you and sharing that wisdom that you have inside that head of yours. I appreciate it so very much. My pleasure, man. Appreciate all you guys. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.